Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty here on a Farmer Friday. We would love to hear from you all throughout the show today. Our phone lines will be open 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us radio at agphd.com or send me a note on Twitter agphdmedia or Brian Hefty. Well, I am live in the Morton studio today. My brother Darren's out traveling a little bit. I just got to tell you a couple quick stories from our farm. So just a couple of days ago, I got everybody on our farm all jacked up uh, to, hey, we're going to be planting. And let's let's be ready to roll. So the guys were even working late on Wednesday night. And what do you think, of course, happens then on Wednesday night? We get three-tenths of an inch of rain, which we weren't supposed to get. <laughs> And so then we weren't able to go at all yesterday. They, the guys did just a little bit of stuff yesterday, but I think we finally got our first field planted here this morning. Our, our farm manager was out there and got about uh, 35, 40 acres planted. So it's nice to have a little something in the ground. Now, talking about that, when, uh, well, here in the last few days, I've, I've had a number of questions. Guys are asking me, hey, should I even plant because the weather forecast looks terrible? All right, if you're running saturated cold germ tests on your seed corn, which hopefully you are, if you buy seed corn, get it in early, send a test to the lab and find out what's the saturated cold germ. Um, if your saturated cold germs are coming back at 50%, probably not a good idea to plant. If they're coming back at 80, 90%, you're good to go. The other big thing here is seed treatment. Now, and, and the reason why I'm bringing all this up I was talking to a couple of farmers yesterday and they were asking about soil temps. And I go, well, the soil temp was as low as 43 degrees yesterday. And they go, ooh, that's not good. And I go, but it was also as high as 66 degrees yesterday in the same spot. And they go, oh, well, that's fantastic. And I go, well, wait a second. You just told me it was terrible. Now it's great. That all happened in the same day. We really don't know what's going to happen three days from now or six days from now. Is the soil temp going to drop into the 30s? Probably will in our geography. Will it also get into the 60s? Probably will. Now, I, I know there are a lot of people that talk about this imbibitional chilling and, you know, they, they like to scare you into thinking, oh, you can't plant corn until late. Well, I think that's a bunch of nonsense. You absolutely can plant corn early, but the seed treatment is huge. We have 33 treatments on our seed corn when we planted in the spring. Without those 33 treatments, I would not feel nearly as comfortable. And I can speak specifically to this because years ago, when we first started planting super early, we had one seed treatment on, and that was a mess. <laughs> we can do the exact same thing now with all these treatments, and it is like night and day difference. We also have had at AgBHD a seed testing lab for probably 25 years now, and we've run tests with, with seed treatments without seed treatments and just to see how does the seed do. It performs so much better with the seed treatments. It, uh, it, it turns out just phenomenally well in many cases, even though we don't have the 50 or 60 degree soil temps that a lot of people are looking for. Uh, hey, uh, Alex, do we, have, do we have Rob queued up? Is he on? Okay, he's on right now. All right. So uh, and there is, I apologize for this. The reason why I'm asking this, normally when we take callers, we uh, I have to hit a button here and I see, oh, this person's called and I'll, I'll take that call and everything. But we have our good friend Rob Sharkey on with us. And uh, Alex, our producer here, has got him linked in through a different 
method. And so hopefully our sound quality is great and everything. Hey, Rob, how you doing today? I'm sorry. I always got to be different, don't I? <laughs> uh, be, being different's fine. I, I don't have any problem with that. I, I know. I, I know. I'm. A, I'm. I'm very different as well. Well, maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. All right. So, uh, Rob, I heard you had questions about land rollers. I do because they are not around here. And okay. you know, Degelman sent one down here for us to use. And I tell you, it's like been. I've never seen so many neighbors stop by because they nobody knows what this thing is. It's just not used in our area. So here I am out there rolling after I plant soybeans, and everybody's kind of confused. So that's what that's what Dagelman's told me to do. They said roll right after you plant the soybeans, but then yes. on social media I hear a bunch of people saying that you need roll them again when they like first try foliage, you know, whatever when the beans are up. I've got no idea who to believe. So <laughs> when I got a connection to Brian Hefty, I'm going to take advantage. <laughs> All right, let, let me just first say. I am not the world's foremost expert on really anything, but I'll give you my opinion on this. Now, we, we've run land rollers over the years, too. Uh, there are advantages and disadvantages. Uh, the, the biggest reason why rollers are popular in certain areas of the country is because of rocks. If you have rocks, those are hard to, to deal with. And by rolling, you can make sure those are in the ground. Um, in terms of combining, especially soybeans, boy, it makes the combining way easier. So those are two big advantages. The other thing when you roll right after you've planted, it does absolutely help germination because you're getting better seed to soil contact. So mm -hmm. those are the reasons why you should do it. The only reason I really have against doing it is just we sometimes will see a little bit more erosion. So I do get a little bit concerned from the erosion perspective. Uh, and, and, oh, I should also bring up crusting. It's possible that you could get crusting if you get a hard rain after that. Because you have rolled it, uh, uh, you may be more likely to have crust there. So obviously the higher levels of organic matter you have, the more organic material out there you have, the less likely that is to happen. Does that kind of answer that question? Yeah, and this was in no-till you know, I'm putting it right into corn oh, stalks. We okay. did go over, I haven't planted any corn yet, but we did do yep. two rounds over on worked ground just to see what it would be like to plant corn in that. Just yep. a whole lot of experimenting. Yeah, our, our standard recommendation is roll after planting beans, but roll before planting corn so you can get that seed depth just right on the corn. And then you asked about rolling later on in the season. I get really uncomfortable with that. Now, there, I know there are guys that do it, but my challenge is all our plants aren't exactly the same as we cross the field. So you might break some off if they're not at the exact right stage. It's just I, I, I try to reduce risk as much as possible, and I yeah. worry about rolling late that we have more risk. We're going to try a couple rounds and see. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Let us uh, let us know how you turn out. Send us some pictures and stuff. Again, we're talking to Rob Sharkey there, host of Shark Farmer Radio that you can hear right after Ag PhD Radio each day. Thanks a lot, Rob. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. All right. Stay tuned. It's Farmer Friday. We'll be right back. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at mortonbuildings.com. 
Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgriLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit grainphd.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation. Back to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open all throughout the show today. If you want to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. Next on, we've got Jason calling in from Alberta, Canada. Jason, how are you doing today? Hey, not too bad, Brian. Excellent. So here you get a question about harrowing. Yeah, so I was just um, we're we're doing um, you know quite a bit of no-tilling and. Yep. Uh, so one of the things we don't want to do is is really touch that uh, touch that field before we seed it. Okay. And uh, but I do notice that a lot of the time our neighbors will uh, um, be out harrowing, whether with a, a heavy harrow or a, a tying harrow of some sort, and uh, kind of moving that straw around. And when I see that, I see a lot of dust uh, flying, and and you know I know they're moving some straw around maybe because their the combine spread wasn't as uh, as even, but mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious what you guys think, if that's something that, um, helps or makes any difference or. Well, yeah, it's going to depend on the situation. Let me, let me just first say, if you're in no-till, then it, a lot of the people that we talk to about no-till don't want to do any tillage, no matter what. Now I, and you may be of that opinion. All I know is I don't, I have goals and objectives for my farm. So, for example, I want to minimize erosion, and I want to increase soil organic matter. But at the end of the day, i got to figure out a way to make money. And one of my concerns sometimes with no-till is just placing that fertilizer. I don't get my fertilizer deep enough. So that's probably my biggest concern if I was to be true no-till all the time forever. With a harrow, you're not really going to solve that problem at all. So it is for a lot of guys exactly like you said. They're 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 moving the residue around because one of the challenges in no-till, if you don't 
have the the residue flying perfectly behind the combine, as you know, then you've got areas where there's a lot of residue and areas where very there's very little residue, and so your stand is uneven. And so that's one of the things guys are trying trying to do. Also, uh, there are a lot of people who will run these these coulter machines or vertical till machines that you know aren't going to do a tremendous amount of disturbance out there. It's certainly not no till anymore, but just getting even a little bit of dirt together with that residue, it speeds the breakdown of that residue so much. And especially as we go north, so when we're in North Dakota or when we're in Canada and the the temperatures are so cold. It's helpful getting that little bit of dirt with mixed with the residue and breaking that residue down faster because otherwise it just seems like it takes forever. So I, 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 I can't tell you that if you had already had your residue spread evenly that harrowing is going to help you a lot, but it would help just a little bit and that it does bring up a little bit of dirt, not as much as these coulter machines are going to, but it does bring up just a little bit. So it is going to speed the residue breakdown a little bit. Yeah, you bet. So, uh, on on in your operation at this point, have you been able to do any seeding yet? Uh, we're probably planning to go on on Monday, and oh, okay. uh, you know things are things are starting to to get in shape. We've Good. got um, some guys in the area have started seeding some peas and some wheat. Canola is is probably a little bit iffy this early and, and as cold as our forecast uh, might be. Yep. But like you were saying yesterday with, um, you know, maybe it is going to be warmer, maybe it is going to be colder. But, you know, at least right now what we've got is, you know, for the short-term forecast is is not too bad. But the long-term Good. stuff, is, you know, we just can't really... <laughs> you know, stay out of the field because somebody's, you know, the forecast long-term right. is, doesn't look right. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I always tell guys, look at the calendar. And also, you know, like for here in the United States with the, the crop insurance we have, and I don't know exactly how it is for you up there, but the crop insurance companies, they have so many dollars at stake and they've got all the figures for all, over all the years on when guys have loss. And if the crop insurance company says it's time to go, Usually they know pretty well, so I'm willing to go. I, I just know that if my conditions might be against me, that seed treatment makes such a huge difference. And also, we got to look hard at what kind of seed am I planting. I just had that discussion with um, uh, our our guys in the farm here because they've got a little bit of carryover seed from last year. And they're like, well, should we use that up today? And I go, no, don't use that up on day one. We're going to use that up when the weather gets warm because I can promise you that vigor is not going to be as good in year two as it is in year one. No, exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the things that we learned last year is, you know, following recommendations from, from listening to you guys about putting on uh, the complete seed treatment package with a biological some nutrition, uh, insecticide, fungicide, that, uh, that was huge last year. And, you know, this year continuing on with that same, um, same program, like we saw, we did, we did, the uh, you know, trials and comparisons and, and tested it on our own stuff. And the best 
was that complete uh, that complete seed treatment package. Yeah, you know, when we are in what I would consider the fringe areas of crop production a lot of times, whether it's Alberta or South Dakota, it's not Illinois where they have in much better weather, it's much warmer, everything else. The odds are stacked against a lot of us who farm out here, so we got to try to do everything to put the odds back in our favor. Hey, Jason, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it, and best of luck to you on your farm here coming up. You bet. Thanks a lot. You bet. Thank you. All right, we got Danny calling in from Missouri now. Hey, Danny, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Excellent. So I so I heard you wanted to talk about the shortage of anhydrous right now. Well, we're we're slowly working out of those problems. But uh, last week uh, we we could not get anhydrous. Everybody, as far as I know. Uh, Around our area, probably 30, 40 counties could not get anhydrous. Everybody was completely out. Uh, the trucks could not keep up with the demand, uh, and it was terrible. Uh, no matter what you could do, you just you were out of anhydrous. Yeah, and I hate to say this, but I was I've been worried about this ever since last fall because we had we had such a wet fall through much of the midwestern part of the United States there wasn't nearly as much fertilizer that got on last fall as should. And a lot of people wanted to get fertilizer on. And so they're like, well, I guess it'll be spring. <laughs> well, when everything gets pushed to spring, and then when you have an exceptionally cold winter, and then when you have an exceptionally wet spring, it's like, whoa, this isn't a real good recipe for success here. So yeah, we've had issues up here where dry fertilizer prices have spiked at the last minute. And it's it's really kind of a nightmare. So yeah, that's too bad. But it, but it does sound like they're, they're starting starting to get that uh, that issue corrected now and you're starting to get a little more supply? Yes, yes, that is that is the good news. The bad news, though, uh, on dry fertilizer, trying to pick up from the terminals. Uh, we, we have two terminals we go to. Uh, one is, has been completely out now for about two weeks. Uh, the, there was a barge with gravel on it, from what we're hearing, that uh, got a knot hole knocked in the bottom of it, so the Corps of Engineers shut down the river. Oh. Uh, the other terminal is a railroad, so the uh, one terminal that is is on the river, they had eight barges sitting there, <clears throat> excuse me, and could not get them up there to get them unloaded. So I shifted all the demand to the to the other terminal on rail that is supplied by rail. Yeah, and we're sitting in five to seven eight hour lines trying to get trying to get bulk fertilizer. Good grief. Well, you know, the one thing too with especially nitrogen, nitrogen does move down in the soil. You don't have to put it all on up front. So, you know, there's a little saving grace there. A guy can make at least some changes to the plans. I know we've done that in the past too. Put a little less on up front, put a little more on on side dress. But yeah, I mean, it's a question as to how quickly this stuff gets corrected because the side dress season is coming up and not all that long too. So anyway, well, hopefully that thing will straighten out for you. How's everything else going for you down there? It, you know, it was like, I think everybody else, we had a very slow or wet spring, a very slow start. What we normally would be planting, we could not. And we're about 50% planted right now. Uh, Although we got a, a, a tremendous amount of rain. They're trying to tell us five to eight inches here in the next two weeks that we're going to be getting. So today's the last day of field work. Everybody's trying to plant as much as they can. Yeah. 
whether that's the right thing to do or not, I think it is. Like you, you said earlier, you know, when it's time to, when the crop insurance is okay to plant, you better be out there doing it. Yep. All right. Well, hey, Danny, thanks a lot for calling in today and updating us on what's going on down there, and we certainly wish you the best here this spring. Well, hope you and Darren have a, have a good spring, too. Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, well, once again, it is Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll get to more of your phone calls and your questions coming up next on Ag PhD Radio. Are you frustrated with white mold showing up year after year in your soybeans? If you have tried fungicide applications and are still losing yield to white mold, now is the time to ask your seed dealer about Heads Up Plant Protectant. Heads Up is the first EPA-registered seed treatment for the prevention of white mold in soybeans and pulse crops. The first line of defense on your farm against white mold now starts with the right seed treatment package. Locate a Heads Up dealer near you by visiting headsupst.com today. You know what's convenient? If you're a soybean grower, what's convenient is Zidua Pro Herbicide. That's because you get... Fast and complete burndown together with up to two weeks longer residual than other herbicides and three sites of action for broad-spectrum weed control, plus built-in resistance management. All in one convenient jug. And that turns out to be very inconvenient for pigweed, water hemp, and mare's tail. Contact your local BASF rep today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean field, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean field and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Using NSERVE nitrogen stabilizer with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERVE delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERVE is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. Thanks for tuning in today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. I've just been running through some of the Ag PhD mailbag questions we're going to get to in just a minute. If you've got any questions for us, 
radio at agphd.com is our email address. You can send those in. Or you can call in 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what John did from out in Illinois. Hey, John, how are you today? Hey, Brian. I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, just trying to get some beans in before the snow. It seems weird to say that, but <laughs> I guess we're all kind of in that boat right now. <laughs> yeah, we've planted corn many times before snow. I don't know that we've ever planted beans right before snow, but uh, first of all, let me just ask you, Okay, it's going to snow. Why are you putting the beans in right now? Well, I mean, normally, to me, a soybean, it really needs the sunlight and needs to grow. And and the minute that you get to the the equinox there, we're losing daylight. So I want to get as much daylight as possible. Um, And I don't think, I think the snow is going to be long gone by the time these suckers come up anyway. So I, I think it's, I'm actually planting my beans this year before my corn. So uh, just because it, it's been, been fairly chilly here in northern Illinois, and uh, I, I'm rolling the dice, I know, but I, I think but just looking at it year after year, the earlier the beans are, the better they are, and corn can go a little bit either way. So I'm putting the time in on the bean side. Yeah, I will agree with you on beans. They like it early. In my experience and everything we have where I farm, I, I want to get the corn in early too. But, you know, I, I, I'm I with you. Sometimes later planted corn actually doesn't turn out too bad. But uh, but anyway, yeah, oh, you no, can't. No. Yeah, and part of the thing, I, I, I just was wondering if you were going to give me the answer that I usually give guys is, okay, every day earlier I can start, it's one day earlier that I finish. And I really don't want to be planting my crop in June. Well, that's for sure. No, and and there's no doubt about that. But if you want to come, I mean, I've got another tractor. If you want to do the show next week, Brian, you're more than welcome to plant next to me corn. And that'll be fun. I'll buy you lunch and we'll call it even. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we, we have actually had a few guys that have, you know, big, bigger family farms. And they say, well, should I buy another planter or not? And this is where this this whole soybean thing comes in, because just like you said, okay, this is your first time planting beans before the corn. Well, there are a lot more guys figuring out, you know what, the beans also need to go in the ground early. So if I had enough acres and I have had, if I had enough people in my family, I could could justify doing this. Maybe maybe that's the way to go. So yeah, I I don't know. The other the other thing I always try to stress to guys is kind of spreading out the maturities a little bit. Um, so we usually will start with a, a a pretty late soybean and a pretty late corn variety, and then we know we can't get everything planted day one, so we start moving down the maturities a little bit. But right. yeah, everybody's got a little bit different strategy, and so I was I was just kind of curious what uh, what your thoughts were there. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I trust me. I think any anything that you can get in early. I mean, we're behind from last year. I know there were some years that we've been putting corn in the ground the first week of April, and it did great. But you know, it's what Mother Nature hands us. Yep, that's what, what we're doing. Yep, so yep, that's right. That's the best. Um, and our our people also told me that you had a question about winter wheat and winter kill. Yeah, yeah, Brian. I called you back when we got last fall. I planted this wheat, and I was just like you. It it didn't pop up right away, and I was getting very, very concerned about uh, the fact that it didn't really emerge. Well, most of it, thankfully, did emerge. I just have one particular field. It's a small field, and I'm looking at it right now. It's very different, you know, when you're up in the air, and you can actually look at it a little right. better. Right, right. Um, where it's, it's kind of 
I don't know. I would say it's like maybe ten percent of it winter killed. Yeah. I don't know. What what's your rule of thumb in your family for when you decide you know this field just really really we should we should just let it go and well, let's plant corn in it. What what's your rule of thumb with with your family? Well. <laughs> there are I know, a lot. Obviously, got the economics. I mean, yep, if corn were right. seven dollars right that's now, right. and and wheat were two. No, I understand. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. And then you also have the timing of things because it's one thing to say, "Oh, well, I'll just plant that and I'll get two hundred fifty bushel corn." Well, will you at this point? Will you by the time you get into that field? By the time you get everything else done? And so, I mean, there are a lot of factors that go into it. But I, I, just in terms of how good is that wheat going to be? If I've only lost ten percent. I'm fine with that personally. The only yeah. issue that I would have is if I've got spots. And unfortunately, that's what we see around the country more than anything. It's low spots, wet spots, maybe a high pH spot, a bug spot, an area where there was way too much residue or uh, where we yeah. overapplied manure or, you know, something like that. So if I've got a chunk in the field that's three acres and literally there's like 10% stand instead of a 90% stand, well, then yes, there, I'm going to go in and I'm going to I'm gonna patch that up. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I, you know, if, if I've got 90% or even 80 or most of the time 70, I'm probably still going to leave it. I, I'll, I'll tell you too, it's, uh, so, uh, I don't know if you heard, but my dad, our, our, uh, for Darren and me, our dad just passed away a couple weeks ago. So I've been thinking a lot yeah, about very, some of these, le- yeah, thanks. But, uh, I've been thinking a lot about these lessons that he talked to us about and just, you know, some of the things that, uh, he's said over the years here over these last couple weeks. And so when you bring up winter wheat, it just reminded me of when we first started planting winter wheat, probably 20 years ago on our farm. And the first thing my dad said is, well, that's never going to work. <laughs> I go, why is that not going to work, dad? He goes, cause I, I, whenever I did it, Brian, I always had too much winter kill. But, you know, here's what I found on our farm is if we really did a good job in terms of soil fertility and we used good seed treatments, we got everything off to a decent start in the fall, we actually did really good. We even had really rough winters with not much cover. And I've never had to tear up a stand once in 20 years on winter wheat. Not a, not once. But I, I still attribute most of that to we've really had a major focus on fertility. And the other thing is we've had a big focus on drainage. I will not put my winter wheat into ground where it's uh, very poorly drained because I know that I've got that tremendous risk going into the spring. Water stands too long, and hey, I am going to have a lot of winter kill there. Yeah, and, and ice is such a big factor too. Right, exactly. But, you know, and that, uh, ice is just terrible, and it was a horrible year for our area for ice too. But and, and also, and you're absolutely right on the residue. This was a this little small field was where we we got a new new to us combine, and we were adjusting it. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the minute that that chaff comes out there and starts piling up, it just really becomes a a real problem. You can certainly see that out there too. So yeah. It's it's kind of a mixture of, of many things, but thankfully, I mean, overall, our wheat crop, I agree with you, is, is looking great, and I'm cautiously optimistic, because I'd like to keep the rotation. You know, there yeah. is something to be said for yes. for having that rotation and the benefits of the soil and uh, and everything else that, that comes off of it, too. So, yeah. and not to mention, I think we all could agree harvesting in the summer is a lot nicer than in December. So, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, that is uh, that is for sure. I just wish the wheat price was a little bit better, but I guess I, I could say that about corn and beans and every other commodity uh, all, out there. All, so 
All of them right now, that's for sure. Yep. All right. Well, hey, John, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, have a a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And my advice to you about your father passing is write that stuff down, what he said to you, because uh, once that goes, those memories go, they're hard to come back. So, well, this spring I would take a little time to get one of those or just take your old cell phone and and do a little recording of those thoughts because... Your kids are going to want those, too. Yep, yep, good advice. All right, thanks a lot, John. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Stay safe. Bye-bye. See you. All right, well, once again, it is Farmer Friday today. We would love to hear from you. If you want to call into the show, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send me an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to some of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up here in just a little bit. Um, You know, whenever we get into spring and and one of the things the last thing i said to john there is uh is stay safe we got to be thinking a lot about safety during this busy time of year and you know when we're in seasonal in a seasonal business like agriculture and farming we get these periods where we have to put in a lot of hours that's just the way it is and whenever you put in those hours, you got to think about, hey, am I getting enough sleep? Am I doing the right things? If you start getting short on sleep, you say, well, I'm going to push it on the sleep thing. I find for myself, too, my brain isn't working the same. So you got to uh, extra slow down, be really careful, do everything you can to stay safe out there. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more Farmer Friday coming up right after this. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. The Guardian Air Twin Spray Nozzle from Hypro produces a twin spray pattern with air inducted droplets for superior coverage, even in dense canopies. Be effective and efficient with your spray application this season with the Guardian Air Twin. Hypro, helping you spray better. Interested in strip tillage? You should know about the Soil Warrior from ETS. With one pass efficiency, optimized nutrient placement, and reduced production costs for higher profitability, the Soil Warrior brings the future to your farm. Visit SoilWarrior.com to learn more. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. 
Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Managing nitrogen is a challenge, and early season rains can wipe out early applications before peak demand. Proximus by Actigrow works with native microbes and soil microbial cycling to manage nitrogen. Applied at planting and side dress with UAN fertilizer, Proximus is proven to protect nitrogen and increase yield. Ask your egg retailer for Proximus with your next UAN purchase or visit superchargeyouran.com. Live from the Morton studio, this is Ag PhD Radio. We're going to jump right back to the phone lines here. We've got Lonnie calling in from central Illinois. Hi, Lonnie. How are you today? Hey, I'm all right, Brian. Excellent. Uh, nice to talk to you. You bet. Yeah, thanks for calling in. What can we do for you today? Well, i got a couple questions. Uh, I uh, rent uh, my farm out to uh, my brother-in-law, okay. and uh, he plants uh, bin, bin run beans. Uh, all non-GMO. Okay. Uh, is anyone doing that still? I mean, it, to me, that's an old, uh, uh, old deal. And yep. uh, he's he self-cleans all the beans. Sure. With a grain cleaner, so yep. it's it's not the perfect situation. But I can tell you, last year we had our. I don't know what the yield was. He probably knows, but I I know all our bins were packed full last year, and that's yeah. A, first time it's ever been like that. Okay, I will first tell you that when I was a young agronomist, and even on the farm, I mean, back then, 25, 30 years ago, it was pretty much all bin-run beans. And if if you did a good job cleaning those up, I even ran a seed cleaning plant for a while. Um, you know, they, they turned out fine. But the thing today is almost all varieties today are patented. And so even if it's a non-GMO bean, if the variety is patented, you can't save those beans. So as long as he's doing it legally, everything's fine. But the problem is there's so few varieties that he could legally do that with. I would just worry that those aren't the best yielding varieties. Uh, in terms of you know weed control with that, I mean, you can, I think about that just like I would any conventional bean. And the big thing is you've got to do a really good job with your pre-emerge herbicide program. So we talk all the time about three different modes of action pre-emerge. I really like using a yellow, like old trifluralin or prowl plus a little metribuzin, plus either Valor or Authority as a PPO. And you do that, and that should kill 99% of the weeds out there. And then you just have to come back and clean up escapes. There are a few herbicides you can use. So, you know, you've, you've got options there. It's, it, it's, it's certainly doable. Okay. Well, uh, you talk about cleanup of weeds. That was my next question. Like cucklebur and mare's tail and everything, I yep. walked. Uh, walk my fields it, the ones that didn't that got away and my question yeah. is at what point do you need to carry them out of the field and burn them or whatever and at what point can you just drop them okay uh, and, all right so 
So first of all, I'm glad you said you walked beans because I used to do that too. You know, it's funny anymore though, when I suggest that to people, they literally laugh in my face. <laughs> they go, what? I'm not walking beans. <laughs> well, why not? I, I did a whole bunch of that. That's a, that, that, is, that was my summer job years ago. But anyway, uh, in terms of pulling these and then removing them from the field, the only weed for our farm that we ever did that with was velvet leaf once they'd put the heads on. So, you know, if there are no seeds developing, there's no reason to take that out of the field. The only sure. thing that I will tell you, though, is when we used to actually pull the weeds, we would have to shake the dirt off pretty well because if you get lots of rain afterwards, and even if you do shake the dirt off pretty well, it's possible for that thing to re-root. So what we started doing then is we'd go out there with uh, great big corn knives and cut the, the, the plant right next to the ground. So with broadleaf weeds like cockleburr, the problem with that is you've got to get it right near the base of the, the ground. Right. If you cut it off halfway up, well, it still has some, some shoots there, some growing points that it could, could put shoots out from. Uh, you know, with mare's tail, I don't worry about that one that much because if we kill that up front before we ever plant, and there are plenty of herbicides that can do that, whether it's germoxone or Sharpen or something, uh, if we kill that up front, usually we don't have a lot of that in season if we control it first. Uh, the cockleburr, absolutely you do. That was one weed that, for me, I used to pull a lot of growing up. Cockleburr isn't that difficult to pull. You can do it. Just you want to make sure you're pulling all weeds before the seed heads are on there. And then, yeah, it's it's not a real big deal if it's still left out in the field. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I kind of figured with the cockleburr. Once it gets the burr part on there, then I think, well, I need to get it out of the field when I pull it. But well, I try to get out, get out there before that. Yeah. Yeah. I even called the uh, University of Illinois and asked them at what point <laughs> is it too late, you know, yep, to yep. just drop it. And uh, they really couldn't give me an answer either. So Yeah, no, it, it's hard. Be, it, the other thing that I'll tell you is keep in mind for all plants, their only goal in life is to reproduce. So if right. they are under stress, if they emerge late, whatever, they're going to do everything they can, put as much energy into seeds. Now, they might have many fewer seeds, but they're going to try to produce seed. But the whole key is just getting out there, you know, a little bit earlier, and then it's not a big deal. But, yeah, it's, it's, right. it, it is kind of funny, Lonnie. This, this just brings me back years ago because I haven't had a discussion with a guy, a serious discussion with a guy about pulling weeds for a long time. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, well, hey, thanks for yeah, calling I can't, I can't. I can't get my brother-in-law to do it, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I drag my son out there, and my son rolls his eyes all the time. Yep. The whole deal. But I said, you know, I said this farm that uh, I own. I said we're not going to have these weeds. I said the rest of the farm can have them, but I said, but not ours. And I said we're going to walk these things no matter what. So. I used to have a great uncle uh, that farmed some ground that we now farm today. And so years ago, he would just walk his fields where people could see them. And on the backside of the hills, it was a weedy mess. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, a lot of people will handle things that way, too. They just want it to look good where everybody gets to see it. And especially when it's right near your house, you want people to really think, oh, boy, I keep it clean and everything. But, you know, uh, anymore, right. we look at so many things on the farm as economics. 
We don't have excess labor like we used to. So, you know, today, how a lot of people look at it is, okay, if I've only got three weeds out in the field, I can't justify spending my time to take care of those three weeds. And, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That's just the way a lot of people are looking at it today. Yeah, I understand. I, I mean, I drive by other people's fields, especially cuckleburrs. They're just my yeah. dad drilled it into my head with cuckleburrs, and I just want to pull alongside the road and stop and walk out there and pull them because <laughs> uh, even though it's not my field, because it just it just bugs me. I just and I and I and that's the way it is with our fields. I mean, I'll I'll be leaving home and I'll see a weed, and my wife says, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm gonna go out there and pull that weed." or <laughs> Remind me when we get back, and I said I'll stop and we'll go out with a flashlight to get that weed because yep. I just it bugs me. Well, if nothing else, at least you're getting your steps in every day. That's uh, it's a good exercise program. Well, hey Lottie, thanks for well, calling uh, in today. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye. Yep. Thank thanks. You. Bye. All right. Well, it is time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right. First question comes from Tony in Southeast Minnesota. He asks. Uh, just a quick question. Does four to eight inches of snow or two inches of rain incorporate nitrogen more effectively? By the way, the forecast is not great for this weekend or next week. Hopefully you will have better weather in the Baltic area. I doubt it, Tony. We've had about as bad a weather as we could have for a long time now. But it's interesting that you bring this up because as soon as you said snow and nitrogen, I right away got thinking about, you know, for years people have been talking about when it snows on my corn, I have more nitrogen in the ground. And so I've been doing some reading on that today. And yeah, that's true. In a lot of cases, it's five to 10 pounds of, of free nitrogen that you get. You got to keep in mind the atmosphere is made up primarily, or what we breathe in every day. It's, I mean, the number one component is nitrogen. And that snow seems to catch nitrogen. It kind of locks it into that soil good. According to what I've read, when you get big rains, a lot of that nitrogen ends up running off. It doesn't help you as much. So anyway, there's that. Now, I know what you're after is if you put nitrogen out, let's say you spray 28%, you put urea out, and you get snow or rain, is that going to move it into the ground more, or which one will move it in more or better? It just depends. If you get a nice rain that doesn't run off, I would prefer that. With the snow, it is probably going to move it in some, probably just not at the pace. So that's a really slow release of that water. But both of them absolutely can help you. The thing that can hurt you is if let's say you had one inch of snow or let's say you had 0.1 inches of rain. Uh, if it's just a tiny, tiny amount, you may, like urea, for example, you may liquefy it but not move it into the ground. And then it, it you could be in a worse situation for loss. But anyway... Usually, when we're getting moisture in the spring, that does move nitrogen down and it eliminates the need for incorporation in a lot of cases. All right, stay tuned. We've got more of your questions coming up in the Ag PhD mailbag next. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. 
Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit BattleWeeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. If you've got any questions for us, just email me, radio at agphd.com. Or you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Dean sent us a question here. He says, what is the name of the new Low Drift 240? Now, I'm glad, Dean, you didn't say no drift 240, but Low Drift 240, it's called Freelex. Uh, F-R-E-E-L-E-X-X, that is from Corteva, used to be Dow, but Corteva and that Freelex is fantastic. We've used it on our farm four years now before it even got labeled. We just aren't seeing the volatility or the drift out of that that we used to out of the old 2,4-D, so I've been encouraging people, drop old 2,4-D, replace it with Freelex. Now, in Enlist Crops, the product there is called Enlist One. It is Freelex, but it's also got a drift retardant in it called Colex D. So Enlist One is just Freelex plus this extra drift retardant, and that works quite well as well. All right, next one here is from Don. He is in Minnesota, and he says, Hi, guys, we have some cropland that we are rotationally grazing uh, a grass legume pasture. Oh, and by the way, whenever we talk, so... 
grass and legumes, I do get concerned trying to raise two different types of crops in the same field. Uh, it always worries me a little bit. But anyway, uh, Don says here, the stands are good, but we would like to improve the soil nutrient balance without tilling the sod. Now, these tests I'm sending you are from just a portion of this field, uh, 15 acres that was divided in three. So I'm going to assume we're talking five-acre grids here. Anyway, he says, uh, uh, is there an economical way to get the most out of what we've got? He says, I enjoy listening to your program. Uh, I'm not familiar how you answer questions, uh, so hopefully you can take care of mine. And uh, I was hoping to come to one of your winter events, but the weather was challenging for cattle feeding. Anyway, uh, when I look at, at uh, Don's soil tests, and I would just encourage you, if you want to send a soil test anytime, that would be great. I'm not familiar with the soils lab that he is using here, so it takes me just a minute to kind of look through the stuff because it's not where I would normally look on some of the soil tests I am used to. But anyway, one of the questions he's got written on a couple of these soil tests is, why is his water-soluble calcium so low despite the fact that his calcium pounds per acre is in the range of 4,000 to 6,000 pounds per acre. So why would water-soluble calcium be low? Well, part of it here, Don, is just because you've got pH that is a little bit higher. And, you know, this is one of the things, if you ever listen to our show when we have uh, Dick Goff on, he used to work for Midwest Labs years ago, just a fantastic soils guy. Dick talks to us all the time, like every time we have him on the show. He wants to talk about calcium, just calcium, calcium, calcium. And I go, Dick, you're in a state where you got all kinds of calcium in the soil. I know, Brian, but a lot of it's not available. And, you know, when I see these water-soluble calcium levels at very low levels, it, it just makes me think about Dick. Anyway, his suggestion for you would be the same as my suggestion for you because I look at sulfur, and your, all your sulfur levels are very low. And when your soluble calcium is low as well, then usually we're talking gypsum. Gypsum is a pretty cheap source to get that calcium that's soluble and also get your sulfur out there that you need. So that is one of the things that I absolutely would do. Now, my concern when you say I don't want to do any tillage of any sort uh, you know, in terms of uh, phosphorus, your phosphorus levels just aren't real great. Neither are your zinc levels. And when we look at phosphorus and zinc, they just don't move in the soil very well at all. So it's going to be a challenge for me to get you to where I'd like to have you go with those couple of things. You know, almost anything else you can put out there, and over time it will move down in the soil. Like I see you're really low on manganese, for example. Your copper's low. Your boron's low. Those will move in. Well, boron will move in faster. But, you know, copper, manganese, even potassium, they'll move in. It's just they move in pretty slow. I would also say you've got on the potassium, when we talk about that, you've got 4.7% base saturation K on one test, but you've got a couple other tests that are really low, 2% or less. So I would be putting some potassium out there. So my general statement, I'd be doing a little bit of gypsum on everything, uh, potassium where needed, and then I'd look at some of these micronutrients as well, and hopefully that will help you. All right, uh, next question comes from Rhonda. She asks, what's the best way to control field pennycress in wheat fields? Well, Rhonda, the best way would be to get them as a spring burndown. Now, I didn't, I don't know if she's talking winter wheat or spring wheat here. I'll, I'll just assume spring. But anyway, 
I, I would want to do a burn down with Sharpen. Sharpen is fantastic as a burn down product. It's got really good residual. It's excellent on Pennycrest. That is the product I would use. Problem is, if your wheat is already emerged, you can't use Sharpen anymore. Then I would, if it was me, I'd go to Husky. Husky, I, I really like. I've got two herbicides in there that will both kill field pennycress. Now, some people will try to get by cheap, and they'll say, well, I can get by with Affinity. Okay, Affinity is ALS. There's some pennycress that isn't super sensitive anymore to the ALS products. So, in other words, it's started to build some tolerance, at least. Maybe not resistance, but tolerance. So the ALS or group two family uh, like Affinity, you can do that if you want to and try that. Otherwise, Husky does cost a little bit more money, but Husky would be excellent post-emerge on Pennycress in wheat. All right, uh, let's see. Next question here comes from Southern Minnesota uh, from Hans, and he writes, um, hey, I, I haven't been able to find for my dealer anymore headline or uh, in any form of headline and I wanted to use that in furrow for my corn. Uh, so what do I do now? I've heard you guys talk about Evito, Quadris, uh, any suggestions? All right, so Hans, I would just say I really like fungicide in furrow in corn when it's cold. So once we get to the middle of May, I don't think it's going to pay for you very well. But right now, would I do it, especially with the way the weather looks for the next few days? Yeah, I would, absolutely. Uh, in terms of headline, yes, I really like headline. But we've also had good luck with Quadris. Uh, there is a veto. Personally, we haven't had the best luck with a veto. I don't think it's bad. I, I think maybe it was just the, the year that we tried it because we just tried it on a limited scale. Uh, but a veto, headline, Quadris, they're all in that same chemical family, the uh, Strabiliarin chemical family. And yeah, if you can't find headline, I would use Quadris. No problem. Not a big deal. All right. Uh, let's see. Next one comes from Jim. He says he's in Indiana. He's doing a 1031 exchange from an apartment building to a farm. And I need to learn about this. <laughs> uh, so I've got a question on that and also the chemicals and soil tests that I need. Uh, well, Jim, first of all, I'm no expert on 1031 exchange, but the little bit that we've done, I just know that you're supposed to identify the farm you want to buy before you sell whatever it is you're going to sell to do the 1031 exchange, but just talk to your attorney on that so you get that all taken care of right. In terms of what you do with that ground, uh, for any new ground that we've picked up really in the last 10 years, here is my here are my priorities when I get new ground. Now, this is what I do. You can obviously do whatever you want to do, but this is what I would do. The first thing I do is I take a look at any dirt work I have to do. If there's any dirt that's got to be moved around, let's say they had some gullies, some washouts, any of that kind of stuff, I want to do that first. If I have to move quite a bit of dirt, I might have to wait a year before I can do any tiling that may need to be done. Okay, so my first job is dirt work. My second job, which might be year two, that is getting the tile done, getting the drainage fixed. Then I go to, at the end of year two or start of year three, I'm doing complete soil analysis. And then I am I'm going to fertilize so everything is up to the levels that I want. And I am not afraid to invest in getting it up to those levels because I've seen it pay over time. So you can do what you want to do. But the nutrients that don't move in soil, like phosphorus and especially in heavy ground, uh, potassium, zinc doesn't move, you know, copper, a lot of these nutrients that don't move, you're pretty safe as long as you get them down in the ground a little bit. So spend your money first on dirt work, then tiling, then soil tests. Then after that, I'm really worried about, well, and 
really kind of all the way through. I want to plant good seed, have good seed treatment, you know, kill the weeds, insects, diseases, all those kind of things. So, uh, Jim, if you've got more specific questions for us at any point as you're going through all of this, just give us a call or send us an email. Be more than happy to talk to you about that. All right. Uh, well, before we go, I just want to say thanks a lot to our production staff. Really appreciate uh, the work Alex is doing behind the behind the glass today. And uh, thanks to you for listening. We we can't stress this enough. Um, you know, farming is really challenging, and there are going to be a lot of things that come up that are out of our control, whether it's weather, the grain markets, uh, you know, a lot of different things. Do everything you can to stay positive. Like I said earlier in the show, stay, stay safe. Uh, so what you do out there is really important, and we need you. Well, thanks again for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now stay tuned for Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>